Welcome to show 37 of the C-Suite podcast and this episode is all about what makes award-winning B2B marketing teams and campaigns. I'm Russell Goldsmith and at the end of 2016 I had the pleasure of attending B2B Marketing's 12th annual award ceremony which bills itself as the largest and most prestigious event in the B2B marketing calendar and they also uh, say that their awards are recognised internationally as a mark of excellence and so I'm thrilled that two of the winners from that night are joining me here in the studios of my production partners Marketeers to talk about their work and uh, hopefully without boasting too much they can tell us why they think they walked away with the coveted trophies in their particular categories so firstly we have Catherine Howard UK and Ireland marketing director for Atos an international digital services business with annual revenues of around 12 billion euro and alongside Catherine is Renee Edwards marketing account director at the b2b marketing agency digital radish I'm also pleased to welcome back to the show for a second time b2b marketing's editor-in-chief Joel Harrison and now don't forget if you hear anything you want to comment on while listening to the show please do share a your thoughts on social media using the hashtag hash c-suite podcast renee how's it feel to be introduced as an award winner oh absolutely amazing so for anyone that was there on the night we were the people literally going crazy on stage <laughs> tried to kind of really keep our cool um but completely failed um for us you know we were up against some really some major brands fujitsu standard life um, for us, we're a relatively sort of small agency, so this really kind of helped us put us on the map, um, raise our profile, and actually off the back of it, we've had you know a lot of inbound leads that have come through as well, um, which is amazing. And you know, it's probably very controversial, but unlike a lot of awards where you literally cannot pay to have an award, um, this is very much you know <laughs> the process is absolutely brutal. 150 external marketers yeah. shortlisting you um, gives me enormous confidence. I guess that we're doing something right. As Excellent. An agency. Well, well, we'll come and ask Joel um, a little later about sort of what these judges are looking for in in, in their winners and all the, all the people that entered. Um, but and, and and obviously we'll come back and talk about the, you know the award that that you won shortly. But I actually probably should have said in in the intro that both yourself and Catherine um, are double award winners because um, you both won at, at Joel's event for two years in a row now. Um, and in your case, Catherine, not only did your team uh, at Atos win the B two B Marketing's Team of the Year for two thousand sixteen, but the year before that, you personally won the B two B Marketer of the Year. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Why don't we begin there? How, how did that award come about? Because at, at that point, you'd only been at Atos for around 18 months. Yeah, that's right. So um, I joined Atos in February 2014. Um, and I guess during the first sort of 12 to 18 months of being within Atos, I focused very much on really trying to transform the marketing function. Um, so when I joined, I did quite a few reviews in terms of one-to-ones with the business, um, with different stakeholders, with team members, Um, And what was really evident with the team was that the perception needed to change. Um, So at the time, the team were very much seen as kind of reactive, not visible. Um, So I really set about trying to change that within the organisation to be in a more proactive team, more approachable, more professional. Um, So I think just by setting a kind of clear direction, strategy, um, aligning the team to the business objectives and the organisation... Um, I was really able to sort of start transforming the business. Um, I think the other thing that I was able to do as well, which for me was a real turning point, was about five or six months into the role, um, was presenting to our executive board around what marketing was really about, what we were there to do, how we were realigning to the business and secure budget for the campaigns and activities that we wanted to do driving forward. Okay, so and and then moving forward sort of, 12 months you've now won team mm. of the year so yeah. you, you've, you've talked about how you've changed you know made you know all that 
strategy with the team there. I mean, could you give us a quick overview of what the team structure is and and maybe some of the work that you've carried out during that that period? Yeah, sure. So um, the team itself within um, the UK division of Atos, um, there's about 16 of us in total. We report into our UK exec board. Um, and as I said, we're really aligned to the business. So we have individuals that are business marketers that are focused more on our markets that are, are key markets for us as an organisation and also clients. Um, we then have a couple of specialist roles within um, the team. Um, but what I would say about the team is we have a real clear vision that we want to be known externally for being pioneers, which makes us braver in some of the marketing that we are trying. Um, and we're also very much around delivering business value. So really focusing on return on investment on everything that we do. Um, I think the, the other thing to mention as well is from a global perspective, we um, we lead very much as centre of excellence on a number of different initiatives. So focusing right on from client insight and market insight at the sort of top end of the sales funnel through to demand generation programs, supporting um, pipeline, through to real closure of deals at the end and then client advocacy. So I guess we, we focus very much from a sort of end-to-end perspective across mm. the whole sales cycle. So how, how much is aligned with your global peers across the business? Yeah, so we, um, as individuals, we um, have everybody within the team has a dotted um, line to a global peer. Yeah. Um, so we align as much as we can. Um, but what I would say is we are very much leading the way on a lot of the activity Excellent. that's done marketing-wise. Very good. Um, so, Renee, in terms of size of business, I think it's fair to say that you're at the other scale here to, to Catherine's company, um, and your agency is actually only only a few years old, isn't it? Sure. Um, so now you won in B two B marketing's limited budget category for the for the second year running, um, and and I I don't know I, th- I always think that's more of a challenge anyway for for a team working on on the, on the project. Can you tell us a little bit more about that particular winning campaign, which was for when you move? I believe a conveyancing. Yeah, absolutely. So you just mentioned there, you know, it is a challenge for the team, but we we are really lucky in the fact that, you know, we work with from startups right through to kind of really established brands. And the one thing that I guess they all have in common is that, you know, they are really trying to push the envelope. And so, you know, we're constantly challenged with kind of coming, having to come up with the next big thing, as it were. So, yep. So we work with When You Move um, from initial concept right through to their launch in 2016. So conveyancing the kind of legal side of buying and selling your house is notoriously known, obviously, for being slow and poor communication with the house buyer, but also the estate agent as well. Um, So often this whole process is massively frustrating. Um, And estate agents in particular spend a lot of time having to kind of chase up conveyances on behalf of the buyer. Um, And to be fair, they just literally all they want is that house sale through and so they can get the commission, obviously. I was going to say, for a minute, you were showing a bit of sympathy. I know, I know. (laughs) Bless them. Um, So we created this whole concept about lost uh, lost time. Um, So as part of the kind of campaign theme, we calculated the amount of time that When You Move's technology would save an estate agent on a daily basis. And then we calculated actually what they could do with that time. So just, I guess... You know, to make that more meaningful. So fully integrated campaign, um, localised by region, as I um, as I mentioned, we um, we created a drumbeat of content, including the top 10 things that every estate agent needs to know to save time uh, to help their buyers through that process. That was backed up by um, a survey we did to 500 home buyers. Um, then we had a kind of personal and social uh, introduction uh, via LinkedIn, Twitter, um, and then a direct mail, which was... Con- 
good old fashioned kind of containing donuts and an invitation kind of time for coffee. And this this was one of the, obviously the things that they could do at that time. Actually, yeah. you know, ten minutes that they were saving during that day um, to come talk about when you move. And then uh, obviously a follow up from that and a personal invita- uh, invitation to an event. So um, results for that. So we exceeded seven hundred followers on Twitter from standing start. Um, and actually, we've now got the biggest social following of any conveyancer. So I think we're up to about three thousand on that. And then in terms of kind of more hardcore KPIs, um, we uh, booked 100 meetings for those guys and um, about 73% of the top tier one targets that we originally targeted as part of the campaign, um, we got a response. So, and, Very good. Yeah. I don't know if you can share in terms of budgets, um, and, and by all mm. means don't if you can't, but I, I was just thinking in terms of, I mean, there's a lot that you've done there within mm. within the limited budget category. And I was just wondering if now that you've won that two years in a row, do you become a victim of your success by clients going, well, you can do all that for a limited budget? <laughs> yeah. we, do you know what? We did actually, actually I will say this, we did get shortlisted for best product launch as well. Just okay. throwing that out there. Right. Um, but um, do you know what? Look, you know, for me, I'm like, look, this is what we can do for 30K. Imagine what we can do for right. 60. Like, yeah. You know, um, so and I think it, it's a great it to award. Your advantage, exactly, yeah, 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 absolutely, and it just shows I think how creative you can be with the money. And and you know, this was very much you know they did did have a limited ca- um, budget. They were a new startup company, so it was kind of having to make that work harder. Um, so that's why we kind of very much focused on this like hyper low, a hyper targeted um, campaigns sure. rather than just splurging the budget. Okay. Excellent. Uh, Joe, I think it's about time we brought you into the conversation because um, we've heard from two of your winners. Uh, but I, I thought it'd be good to know, you know, what, uh, the, you know, we're talking about here about, um, you know, some great, obviously, activity that these guys have done. But I'm, I'm keen to, to hear what the quality that they were up against. And also, um, now that you've been doing this for, for so long in terms of what was it, 12, I, th- I think, years we, we said, you know, have you seen a change in the overall quality of, of campaign entries in general over, over the years? Are you seeing a difference in, in the way that B2B marketing is, is being carried out? I think it's... Uh- you know, I'm at risk of cutting off my own to spite my face, but say that it is harder to win these awards than it was in the past, and we and we take that very seriously. You know, we yeah. want some the quality standard is really, is really really important. Lots of really really big blue chip global brands enter these awards. We get a lot of entries from America as well, so it is tough to it is definitely harder to enter. Um, and and you know the stuff that rises to the top is the really the best of the best. Interesting the categories we've got here today are two of the the key challenges that marketers face I think doing something on a limited budget is absolutely you know every budget is limited you know and if you can do successful under 30 grand it's great yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> there's a degrees of limitations yeah. and then also managing the marketing team you know and that's a fundamental challenge at the moment particularly bearing on how far how fast uh, things are changing so you know really really interesting categories and, and really really you know impressive to have won those ones I think they're two of the most difficult ones to have won of all so um, yeah it is changing the standards getting higher um, you know competition stiff but you know it's, at the same time, it's still definitely worth entering. Yeah. Okay. So, so at the top of the show, we said we were going to aim this episode to find out what the key ingredients are to you know to building these award-winning teams and, and campaigns. Um, of course, we've got you know Cat uh, and Renee on the on the show representing both in-house and agency teams. So, so that's great. So, what I'm hoping to establish, you know, are what are the common traits, um, you know, again across both of, of these these key awards. So, so 
Catherine, B2B Marketing's website case study about uh, the Atos win leads with the headline that, and I'm quoting here, teamwork and collaboration led Atos, uh, Atos's UK and Ireland marketing team to generate £1.14 billion um, pounds of new sales pipeline and £15.8 million of closed deals. Um, so, so first off, what I like about that is your activities aligned to business objectives. And I have to say, I've mm-hmm. judged various different awards across industry, mm-hmm. PR mainly, and, and, and you know, it's something you expect to see in terms of aligning to business objectives. It's amazing how many entries fail to show that. So that's the first thing, but that's an aside. Um, but I guess it's, it's very easy for any team leader to say that their work, you know, the, the, you know they, their team works well together. Mm-hmm. So what I was more interested to hear, and from both of you, but we'll start with you, Kat, um, is just learning about some of the, the collaboration and planning tools that you're using, how you come up with those creative ideas that, that stand out in your sector. So very long questions, but Kat, let's, <laughs> let's start with you. Sure, yeah. I'd, I'd love to um, sit here and be able to say, do you know what, we have a fantastic way of um, collaborating in terms of planning tools and all the rest of it. Um, but actually, a lot of ours is about relationship building. Um, okay. And I think there's a massive investment that we put in as a team to um, talk with each other, but also to really work um, with our business counterparts as well. And I don't think you can ever be a kind of face to face conversation with someone. Um, so we've really invested in terms of um, building the relationship between marketing and sales. And I know a lot of people talk about there's a, a big divide um, between marketing and sales. We, we don't have that within Atos, um, but that's because we've really invested our time in building those relationships. Um, and same within the team, actually. So we changed um, a lot of the way in which we work together as a team. So we have um, a monthly team meeting that takes place, which I don't chair. Everybody thinks that you should as, as head of marketing. Um, but actually, it's a team member each month that's that's different that chairs that team meeting. Um, and we actually get out and go off site and we learn from other organisations, um, whether that's agencies, competitors or clients, um, and really spend time working together on different programmes and projects and talking through things as a team um, to really work through. And I think it's it's by really having that time together that makes a massive difference in terms of how your team actually works. Renee, how about a a digital radish? Absolutely. Um, Completely agree with that. Um, I think we actually do squats every morning at 9.30. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Too sure uh, to to get us all kind of fired up for the day. I think you'd be a little bit more uh, crazy in agents' life. But um, massively, you know, putting creativity at the forefront. We, I don't think you can, you can't, uh, you can't for you got to foster that creativity so uh like cat i very much encourage the team to kind of get out um we've got the british new mm. museum right next to us actually so that's really that's really nice I'm, I'm literally like right you know if you need to go out you know because you i think you've got to constantly be no idea is a new idea right yeah. so you know, you've mm. constantly got to be absorbing what what's out there in order to come up with that one unique idea um so absolutely if, you know from my side um yeah it, for me that's very much um what i like to do as part of the agency is just literally foster that creativity yeah. it's, it's interesting actually in the in the last show so show 36 for anyone uh, wanting to go back um i i was i I spoke to Claire Bridges, who's just um, written a book on in your. It's called In Your Creative Element, and one of her contributors is Jerry Hopkinson of Unity PR, and he and they've been recently um, awarded the most creative PR agency um, or consultancy by the Homes Report. 
But um, they, he was saying one of his biggest bugbears is people don't take the one-hour lunch break that they're mm, entitled yeah. to to get out the office because sometimes the best ideas come when you're not so, being yeah, forced yeah. to be creative. Absolutely. And he tells people, go out, go out together, go to the pub, just get out of the office. And, and so it's, it's interesting yeah, it's rather amazing. than just working every hour and sat by your desk. Sorry, sorry. I, I digress. A, Joel. I was, was going to ask the question, though, about, I mean, talking about you know, how, how marketing teams mm. work effectively, how, uh, you know, how they, how the, and the, the marketing sales, dimension and how agencies work effectively but obviously one of the keys to successful marketing and one of the keys to both of your successes is how you've worked together as clients and agencies I mean have yeah. you got any insights about what the, what that looks like what's successful because I mean perhaps who, 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 who who's first <laughs> yeah sure I'll, I'll go first Joel um I think um, for, from my perspective, I, I look at our agencies as partners and, and an extension of our marketing team. Um, and we do we really do do that. So we have a lot of um, individuals from agencies that actually sit on site with the team um, and work as part of the team. They're involved in different client meetings, they're involved in sales meetings with the team. Um, so I do see, you know, individuals as sort of extension, if you like, to our team. Um, interestingly, I had a, a meeting about something today where we're now talking about actually bringing all of the marketing agencies that we work with together in a room to actually really start to focus on the end-to-end client journey. So I can see from specific agencies that we work with where they touch um, a particular client in terms of the engagements. But I want to bring that all together so you can see that single client journey view and it might cause a bit of friction I think initially where there's a bit of overlap or or crossover. Well, that was, I was but, just going to um, ask that actually how many agencies do you have then? I, would, I would rather work with agencies that are open to working yeah. together and collaborating. Um, sorry so to answer yeah. your question Russell we within the UK we're quite selective um, we work with about five or six different right. marketing agencies okay. in the UK. Okay. Everyone's digital, right? An agency yep. world. Absolutely. <laughs> well, well, this yep. is it because a lot of a lot of what you guys are talking about is content, and and everyone will say, "Oh, well, we can." We can, yeah, we can do that bit. We can do the content yeah. bit. So. Exactly. But I think massive point that Cat makes is that, you know, we, we absolutely try to immerse ourselves within that, um, you know, within that client. Um, I think gone are the days of just being able to kind of hand over a brochure and, you know, give the creative brief. Like those days are massively gone. It has to be a lot more kind of strategic, a lot more aligned. A lot of ours, so we'll, you know, literally get in a room lock down the room and, and you know and work collaboratively with them to really try and extract those ideas out of the business um actually i think i read uh, i can't remember it was one of the other agencies i think i read actually on um on b2b marketing recently where they did an escape room uh type um thing which i thought was a great idea because it kind of rather than just kind of sitting around a you know board table for eight yeah. hours and the load of dead sandwiches you know um i thought it was a really nice nice idea actually so it's something i'll be uh I, th- I think it's great comments and my experience of it and I, I'm not often a client but what I've, I have been a client in some some situations probably a very bad client um, but it, it seems to be um, that it's chemistry is really really important it's actually liking yep. the people that you work with because if you don't those meetings can be really long mm-hmm. you know and as you say they're unlikely to want to go the extra mile for you so that that sense of chemistry and this is obvious to a lot of people I should think is, is so so important in, in having a current because people like working with people they like with, so it's yeah. simple and, and, and so once you've just going back to sort of like the question I asked previously in terms of like you, you so you're coming up with these campaigns you've got great creative ideas and, and working with other agencies hopefully 
how are you then measuring the success and, and the ROI on that? So, Kat, let's, let's come to you on that one. Yeah, sure. So um, a few different ways, actually. So I know we've talked quite a lot about return on investment already. We we do, um, and I'm quite strong on it with, with the team and the organisation, that everything we do from marketing has to have return on investment associated in some shape or form. Um, from a financial perspective, the, the three main areas we focus on are around um, demand generation, and what I mean by that is real qualified opportunities, not leads. We never talk about leads. It's opportunities. Our, our sales teams don't want leads. Um, the, the second area is around um, supported pipeline. So we do quite a lot in terms of um, engaging where we're working on existing deals and making sure that from an end-to-end perspective, that campaign runs throughout. Um, and then the third area, which we've we've started focusing on more from a financial perspective over the last 12 months, is conversion of that pipeline from unqualified <coughs> to qualified pipeline. So at the beginning of... Um, 2016 when I started looking at the metrics we only had 8% of what we were generating in marketing converting through to being qualified with a um, solution team assigned for it, from it having been through a bid review um, and by really getting the, the team within marketing to sort of own that pipeline and not calling it sales pipeline but marketing pipeline um, the conversion shifted um, and we're now at 37% so roughly just over one in three of what we're generating is now moving through to being really qualified and pursued by sales and then ultimately closed. Um, but the the other metrics that we use as well, um, which for me is, is really vital, is actually end client feedback. Um, so we're starting to get more and more of that through, which is really lovely to see. So we had an example um, last year from an event that one of my team was um, engaged in, which was a full end-to-end campaign around a particular event. Um, and they actually, a real senior individual within a client, actually name-checked the individual within my team to our UK CEO, which is amazing to see. Yeah. Um, and it is for me, it's that qualitative side as well that's really key, as well as the financial metrics. So that's really interesting from my mm. point of view. Um, we, we did a, a big event on CX last year, and one of the things that mm. came out really strongly was, and, and some research as well, the importance of that feedback mm. mechanism. Is it just the anecdotal yeah. stuff do you use, or do you use any other metrics at all? We use anecdotal. We also use um, a number of different client surveys that we do, um, and we also do an internal survey with business stakeholders as well, which we do every six months around... Um, what kind of business value do you see from marketing? And then we do a sort of percentage score on that as well. So there's a number of different metrics. But it's on a marketing level. It's not on a brand level. Um, no, from a marketing level, we okay. do it. But uh, we do do brand brand surveys as well, but it's more run from a global perspective than UK. That's very interesting. Renee, in terms of the, the stuff that you're doing and mm. what clients are asking for you to measure and, and measurement and ROI? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of agencies tend to kind of shy away from that. But um, my background is actually client side. No idea how to run an agency. That's just happened. Mm. Um, most of my, my background is 13 years client side. And I um, did a big stint at um, EMAP, currently top right group, um, where literally those KPIs were drilled into me. It was just, For me, it was spreadsheet hell because I'm not detailed person so um as an agency really hot on agreeing what those kpis are up front with the client what is it that's going to be what's important to them so whether it is from you know from a i guess the customer experience just touched on that nps score for example being one of them um but majority of the time it's qualified leads um but not only qualified leads but obviously number of engagements that have happened mm. 
the, you know to get them down that funnel um direct response see from an you know account based marketing um point of view um and ultimately sometimes we or if we're able to kind of track the process quite nicely within the business is the um the the kind of marketing influence over um that overall revenue so yeah. how much has it influenced so whether that's you know 50 60% Joel, we touched on touched on earlier about how difficult it is to win your awards i'm guessing this is the kind of stuff that yeah. the judges are looking for and you know quite specific information yeah i mean you you mean you said it earlier actually i think the key thing for our judges is always around <coughs> what has this done to move the business forward to yeah. actually shift the business and you know obviously the campaign work and creative work is great and it's really really important we have a creative category and we're actually launching a new creative category for a kind of creative orientated one this year which is about bravery so we're trying to kind of reinforce that bit a bit but at the same time it's got to demonstrably do something for the business and I think one of the challenges in B2B and one of the reasons why B2B has grown and developed and become more sophisticated in the last kind of 10 years or so is because people, underst- people are understanding the role of marketing within the business it's not just the colouring in team it's not doing pretty mm-hmm. pictures or, or buying golfing umbrellas or you know I was described as a crayons like you're the pen and crayons <laughs> lady when I turned up at a business so, so, so absolutely whatever we can do <laughs> to move away from that is is is, is really critical and I, and, I, and I feel that's why that's so important and you know and the, the, the conversations we have in the second round judging they're, they're, they're the panel um orientation they have we get six senior marketers in the room and they argue these things out and it's yeah. all about what has this done to, to the business how has it demonstrably moved the needle for marketing and changed the business made it made it, made it more successful excellent um slightly uh, change the topic here Ka- catherine going back to the b2b marketing case study um that talks about you guys it, it mentions that you use pack types uh to help understand uh team strengths and so i was just keen to you know know if you can tell us a little bit more about how that all works Sure. So I think um, I think most organisations use some kind of methodology to to work out team strengths and development areas and how everyone works together. Um, one of the things that I did quite early on with the team um, was introduce something called pack types, um, which is actually a methodology which my boyfriend introduced me to, which they use in the police force. So my boyfriend works in the police and they use it on a regular basis. Um, to work out the different kind of strengths, development areas, and actually how individuals would react in specific situations. Um, but basically, it's a, it's a really simple methodology that, um, yeah, I'm laughing because you will laugh when you hear this. <laughs> um, but basically, you get given a pack of 52 cards. Um, and on the one side of the card will be a positive word. They're all positive words like um, proactive or enthusiastic, um, quick at decision making whatever it is it's a, it's a positive um, spin and then on the back is a picture of a dog okay so <laughs> as, I, know, I knew you'd laugh I knew you'd laugh so as intrigued to know where this is yeah, going, so, where this <laughs> going. Mm. so as individuals um, you, you basically go through the pack of cards and you identify the 12 cards that are me- the 12 positive words that are most okay. like you from that from this pack and then at the end of it, you turn them over and you work out, right, how many different cards have I got against each different dog pack type? Um, so just as an example, we, we all worked that out. It just makes it a bit more fun. We had um, a big map on the floor where we did it as a team and we had different dog biscuits in different <laughs> bowls on different dogs um, to work out where we all were. Um, just an example, my um, natural pack type, which I'm sure will not come as a surprise to Joel, is um, a guard dog. 
which is a picture of an Alsatian, um, which is all about being ambitious, driven, goal-orientated. Um, but from a development side, I also have to recognise that with that comes... Um, I have to be appreciative of people that are more quieter than I can be, um, that might be more analytical or process-driven, whereas I will tend to kind of bulldoze my way through things. Um, so it was a real exercise that we, we did as a team. Um, and what really helped was I'd, I'd worked out beforehand some of the individuals within the team who were having difficulties with each other. Um, so I made sure they were put in pairs together and they did each other's cards on how they saw each other. And it was very interesting what came out. Um, Did anyone come out as like a cuddly poodle people, or something? Interestingly, <laughs> so like, have, get rid of them, um, don't need them. Yeah, you have. Um, yes, yeah, so the different types. Everyone loves the stuff. Um, you have coach dogs, okay. which are all about people um, being enthusiastic, being positive, right. wanting to give hugs, just generally people, lively people. Um, you also have um, hounds, which are full on creative. Um, you have sheepdogs, which are more around analytical, being process-driven. Um, there's various different types, but it's just a really fun way to get people Brilliant. talking about themselves, but not really saying them, talking about their pack type. And it just <coughs> made people feel a little bit more comfortable about talking about what their strengths are in development areas. Um, but we do use it as a team um, every now and then just to sort of sense-check ourselves we also used it um, to show who we are as a team overall, sort of in our current state. Um, and actually, if we looked at in 12 to 18 months time, what kind of skill sets would we want in our team? What do we want that shape to look like? So when we originally um, did it sort of in 2014, it was very heavily skewed towards being more guard dogs, which is why you could see some friction within the team. Um, and actually, if you look at the team in terms of the shape and skill set that we have now, it's a lot more balanced across all the different types that we have. Yeah, I mean, from our side, actually, I think this is where we have a massive sort of crossover and we're really big on this. Um, are definitely not as creative as dogs. It's literally yeah. following the kind of disc um, personality types. But again, we've gone through the exercise mm. of... You know, you can't have too many um, big blue thinkers, you know, those that want to board it. You need the helpers. You need you need a blend of, of different, not only skill set in terms of obviously what they do, but also personality types is, is absolutely crucial. So when we recruit, we they naturally they take a personality test, but it's it's all part of the bigger grand scheme of things, mm. as it were. It's not just a personality test for personality's mm. sake. Mm. We could do a whole podcast on this, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, okay. I want to come back to how, like, bringing everything, you know, together. Because um, it's a good opportunity to give you a chance to plug a new campaign that you're doing, Kat. Because you're, you're in dogs. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll find out. I mean, because I, I know you're doing a, a new campaign, which is your demanding digital report. So, yeah. do you want to tell us about that? But, and also how you're delivering that across numerous channels as well? Yeah, sure. So, um, I guess it kind of came about. Um, just over 12 months ago, actually, where I think many marketers that are probably listening in will agree that um, we're under increasing pressure to really focus on the um, client experience, particularly from a digital perspective. Um, and I, I started to look at that internally. We started to look at it with our executive board. Um, and what we came up with was actually what we really need to understand is not just our client's view in terms of digital customer experience, but our client's customers. So end consumers like you and me, um, 
So what we ran was um, last summer we ran a piece of um, independent primary research out into the market across 3,150 consumer citizens um, to really understand people's attitudes towards um, and experiences and expectations of adopting digital services. And we ran that across 10 different um, priority markets for us, like retail, financial services, um, and it's a it's a twelve month program. We've we've launched an overall report, which we launched last September. Um, but it utilizes all different channels to market, from it being used as content in our direct emails, um, through to direct mail pieces, telemarketing online. Everything that we do um, now involves this research. And I think the the biggest kind of surprising thing for us has been more around actually the one-to-one client engagements that we've been able to get off the back of launching the primary research. Um, And a lot of people have said to us, yeah, but loads of people do this kind of research. What's different? Um, Some of the results that we've had through have been really surprising and we've been able to use that research in one-to-one conversations with our clients um, and turn that around so that in turn our sales teams can then go in, have a follow-up conversation and it kind of leads on to the whole digital customer experience perspective and how we can then help those organisations on Mm. their journey. Now, you kindly sent me a copy in advance yes. of this podcast. So to prove I read it, <coughs> excuse me, uh, um, it states uh, that digital technology is a disruptive force giving organisations the power to change the way that they do business from reinventing an existing line of business to creating a more joined up and efficient operation. Uh, digital can help businesses break with the past and build systems and services that are truly fit for the future. So there you go. So I proved I, mm-hmm. I, proved I read through your report. But in true radio presenter style, I thought that's a perfect link to come back to you Renee because your winning campaign at at the awards last year um, was all about disruption wasn't it? Yeah absolutely so I think as I mentioned you know conveyancing is a it's just known as an industry that's very slow moving slow paced Um, so when you've actually developed an app uh, that gives buyers sellers and the estate agents the ability to kind of track the process of the move so this transparency coupled with their complete and utter dedication to delivering impeccable customer service, um, it meant just that we had a really great story to go to market with and we could, you know, they were already kind of disrupting this industry. So we kind of just tagged into the back of that, which was great. Um, you know, there's over, there were over kind of 4,000 conveyancing competitors for these guys. So, yeah, and also the fact that a lot of estate agents they um, just refer their local conveyancer to, the, to their clients. So we had to kind of really try and we had a very fairly big challenge to kind of break down these kind of existing relationships and, and power in with something new that wasn't going to actually kind of frighten everybody. So the message had to really talk to their current pain points of this whole concept of that, yeah, that they were so annoyed about the fact that it's such a slow and laborious process um so the whole concept was based around very slow moving industry and introducing kind of technology was massively disruptive um which as i mentioned kind of gave us a really good story but and also as i mentioned at the beginning they had did have that limited budget so for us it was kind of taking the market piece by piece mm. um there were over kind of sixteen thousand estate agents to target so we kind of just took a sweet spot of 252 estate agents um with a turnover of five million in the regions where the When You Move sales teams were present and located. Um, And then we also looked at the regions where you had the highest volume of sales happening within those regions, um, which then gave us that framework for that, creating that really laser-targeted 
hyper-localised campaigns. Joel, that's clearly a a genuine disruptor, you know, within that particular industry. I'm just intrigued to know out of all, I don't know how many entries you get, how many, how many said we're disruptors, how many, you know. Well, do you know what? I'm really glad you asked me that question because I, we have a board in the office, um, pardon, pardon my inappropriate language, the beast be bullshit word. That's fine. Board, and, and one of the words we have on there quite regularly is disruptor. Right. And it's a word that I, a word that I hate. But this year, because because it's over, it's been overused, not so yeah. much this year, it's been overused, 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 overused. But um, this year, three of the of the 25 campaign winners were all disruptors. They're all disrupting technologies, all, disru- all disrupting campaigns. So it's, you know, things in the, that happen in the consumer world don't necessarily happen at the same pace in B2B. Your campaign was actually targeted at consumers, but it was, it was B2B to C campaign. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really interesting that this, that this really seems to have taken hold. It seems to have, it's time has come in B2B. You know, both you guys are talking mm-hmm. about this. And, and I think that, um, you know, we, we, we just, that's the, become the new normal, hasn't it? You it's know, the expectation that yeah. we don't have to settle for what was there already. We can, we can move into a different different place well we've covered a lot about the work that you're doing obviously in-house at at atosk uh, cat and and obviously with your clients renee at digital radish if if we had to sum up or if i had to ask you to sum up in one sentence if you can what what you think the secret to success is in terms of developing an award-winning b2b marketing team what would it be renee let's come to you first one sentence you've got okay one sentence um so i'll come back to my point about having this blend of uh you know obviously having that very varied marketing skill set but having the the right personalities within the team as well okay okay yeah sure so um (laughs) yeah similar actually i think um very much about having clear leadership and direction um but also enabling a culture of creativity and innovation um and collaboration as well um and, and more importantly for me having a bit of personality and a bit of fun at the same time very good. I don't know if that was two sentences, maybe, with a comma in. I think I kind of got three in yeah. there, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and over to Joel now, because here's your chance to plug for 2017's awards. We've been talking about our two winners from last year, but I believe you're already taking entries for this year? Well, not quite. Which is we're, a bit early, isn't it? It is a bit early. It's not quite. We're going to we're launching in March. Oh, okay. Um, so we're just getting an event out of the way with this week, and we're launching in March. We've got a few new categories. We've split out. We've got a, we're going to have the People Awards, the ones based, related to people, individuals, and teams, after our Ignite event in the summer. Um, and then we're going to have the kind of Campaign Awards in November, as we normally do. So we're kind of splitting them out because there's more opportunities. There's, you know, what we're not... We're I haven't been doing is reflecting things like newcomers, outstanding contribution to marketers, creative teams, client handler teams, all those kind of things. So, and then we're going to bring in things like bravery. We're going to bring in things like customer experience to our main awards as well. So, because you know there is there's a lot of stuff that needs to be reflected and and a lot of excellence needs to be supported and awarded. As long as you're not going all night, like, <laughs> would we do that? So go on. So, what, so so at least give what's the URL for people to get? I think it's pretty simple. It'll uh, be, be b2bmarketingawards.net or or b2bmarketing.net/awards. One of those two will get you. Fantastic. All right. Uh, Well, that's great. Uh, Renee Edwards, Catherine Howard and Joel Harrison, thank you all for joining me today. Um, And of course, thanks to the team here at Marketeers for hosting us and recording the show. That's it for another episode. Just a quick reminder that if you want to contact uh, me on Twitter about getting involved in this series, then it's simply at Ross Goldsmith. Um, Also, you can subscribe and listen to previous shows on SoundCloud, iTunes and TuneIn. Just search uh, for the C-Suite podcast and you should easily find us. And as always, if you do subscribe on iTunes, please, 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 can you give us a positive rating and review because that helps us climb the charts um you can also get involved in the conversation and discussion on our facebook page so please do like that too i noticed digital radish uh, did like that this week so thank yeah. you very much for that um and again uh, you can just search for the c-suite podcast on facebook and you and you should easily find us that's it for now so thanks for listening and goodbye